Hello. I wish there was a Rainforest Cafe theme song. <laughs> I'm sure there is. If we go back to the 90s, what would it be? They had to have some ads, right? I'm sure they did, but we're now their advertisement. Yeah, we are. It all started in Minnesota when I walked <laughs> through the mall of America and I saw that there was a Rainforest Cafe. Rainforest Cafes, I thought, had died years and years ago, and it was really sad, and I was depressed about it. I saw the Rainforest Cafe, and I said, this is my greatest regret, is not having enough time for us to go here. Sabrina took that to heart, said, I'll make sure we get to go to the one in Vegas, being a good friend. And then we were in San Antonio on the Riverwalk. Well, no, we were in a boat along the Riverwalk. In a boat. Thank goodness for that boat tour, because otherwise we would not have known. We wouldn't. And we passed by the Rainforest Cafe. And in silence, without any words, Sabrina and I just go, <gasps> and look at each other. And we knew when we got off we that knew. boat, we were we about knew. to beeline to Rainforest Cafe. So on our tour of 34 shows where we have zero downtime, and on our very first evening off, Corinne and I decide we had... We're in this really nice city of San Antonio. We have so many amazing restaurants to go to, and we chose the best option. We went to the Rainforest Cafe. And we have shirts to show for it. <laughs> and I have a, a mug, a glass. Do you still have your light-up glass? No. <gasps> R.I.P. I had a souvenir cup. It was the children's cup. It lit up. It showed a reflection or not really a reflection, but it like glowed the Rainforest Cafe logo on the ground. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. It really wouldn't fit in my suitcase. My suitcase was <laughs> barely closing. And I was like, it's either Sven or the Rainforest Cafe cup. So what, what am I going to choose here? And I really wanted to choose the cup. We should have removed another limb. I know we should have. It didn't fit. That's and okay. then I was like, that's okay. Like the reality is, am I ever going to drink out of this plastic light yes, up cup you again? Are. Every time we record. I have a t-shirt, though, and that's what I will yeah. actually get great use out of. Okay, well, next time when we go in Vegas, because we're still going in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, it was, we needed that night because it was the time of our lives. We had the best night ever. I know. And you were literally filming when the thunderstorms would come on. <laughs> we were like little kids, like, whoa, we, we were the only ones who clapped after the thunderstorm ended. I was like, guys, this is amazing. It was amazing. Animatronics. And th this is theater. You're supposed to clap after a performance like that. When we got in, we sat down and they're playing like hits, like today's hit. And Corinne and I asked our waitress, we're like, so do you guys still do the rainforest sound? And she's like, yeah, every 30 minutes. So you bet every 30 minutes we were ready. We were ready. We got to see them twice. <laughs> yeah, we did. We sat by the elephant. Uh. We had a great time. There were a lot of birthdays around us. So we sang happy birthday to a lot of random people. And it was yeah. a fun, great, awesome time. We felt fulfilled. We felt we felt alive again. Fit alive. And yes. then we asked people to take pictures of us in front of the Rainforest Cafe. And we definitely got looks like, oh, okay, interesting. To we're we're almost middle-aged women, Sabrina. And we yeah. are taking pics in front of the Rainforest Cafe. But hey. We have to remember what it was like to be eight because that was a great time. Yes. And healing your inner child sometimes requires you to act like a child. And you know what? I have a question for you. Well, this is, uh, you're the worst person to ask because I know you felt 30 for so long. So I was watching Shit's Creek and I've done so much therapy, right? Like 
how do I word this into like a coherent thought? But basically, in Schitt's Creek, there's an episode where they all go to the casino and Mm -hmm. what's her name? Roland's wife. Oh, oh my God. I can't remember. But yes, I love her. Why can't we remember her name? I don't know. Anyway, Roland's wife has this like moment and she cuts her hair and she has this whole emotional moment where she talks about how she still feels like that 19-year-old inside, like in her brain and in her heart and in her body. But then she looks in the mirror and she's reminded that she's actually whatever age she is. And I also have been on this like journey to find myself. And then I've been reading a lot of things from people who are like, you know, celebrities who write memoirs and they're like, I didn't know who I was until I was 40 or I didn't know who I was until I was 60. And I kind of had this realization that we all were just continuously trying to find ourselves. And I think inside our hearts, we're always younger than we actually are. Like we have this like joy and fulfillment and childlike self inside of us that we need to feed and we need to explore. And it's like parts. If you've ever done parts work in therapy, you have your child, you have your teenager, you have your adult, you have Corinne. I know your 30-year-old is very, very bright and shiny inside of you because <laughs> She's been there for years, but yeah, I'm like not relating to anything you're saying, actually. (laughs) I've had the old lady inside me the whole time and not, I'm like feeding the old lady. I'm not feeding the child. You fed the child at Rainforest Cafe. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't feel like a little kid there. I felt like I got to reminisce about a time that I was a kid, but I didn't feel like I felt the whole time I was there, I was thinking, I can't wait to bring my future kids to Rainforest Cafe. Yeah. But you're still enjoying it. Yeah. Well, you can still enjoy things when you're yeah. getting older. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I mean, like, you're feeding, like, that energy still. Like, if you're remembering your young self, you're still feeding it. But, like, yeah, I think we are all an amalgamation of our ages. Yeah. Even if you're an old lady at heart. I felt old for a long time. I mean, even when we do our shows, people make us, like, friendship bracelets and you were putting on, like, jewels and stuff. And you're like, do you want some? And I feel like it doesn't feel like me at all. I feel like I'm cosplaying. Like, I feel like I can't fit in anymore. Like, I feel a lot older. I don't know. I just relate to, like, being older. And so I feel like I'm faking things. Like, I'm faking a youth that isn't within me if I had to do something like that. Where, like, if I see you with friendship bracelets on and jewels, I don't think, like, it looks normal. But if I do it, it feels weird. Yeah. Well, that's, you feel internally, you feel weird. You don't look weird. You look great. Well, I felt old for a very long time and that was a trauma response. And so now I am young, just feeding my child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of us have little old ladies in us. Some of us have little children that we have to feed. It's so gross. So creepy to say it that way. We have little children (laughs) we have to feed inside of us. It's like a, what were you referencing the other day at a live show? Tamagotchi? Yeah. Yeah. It's like feeding a Tamagotchi. It's like time time to feed your inner child (laughs) well we're all feeding something and fueling something right right and we're also feeding our witchy powers yes i just downloaded a couple of books to help get more in tune and this is actually i have to thank ali ward for introducing us to this person oh yeah it's a couple of books by Theo Jed Parma. We listened to their two-part witchology yeah. series on the podcast Ologies. Yes. So I downloaded 
Elements of Magic, Reclaiming Earth, Air, Fire, Water, Spirit, and The Witch Belongs to the World, A Spirit of Becoming. Tell me how they are. Maybe I'll listen to like an audiobook because I want to start going on a lot of walks again once tour is over because I'm creaky. I can barely walk. My hips, the tight. You and Sven. Yeah, me and Sven, we're losing limbs. (laughs) That's great. I'm curious about that. There was another book. Oh my gosh, what is it called? I'll remember it for the next episode (laughs) that people kept talking about. And I was like, I need to read this. And it seemed, why am I going to talk about it nonstop and not actually know what it's called? Wait, maybe I took a screenshot of it. Give me like two seconds. Okay. Because now I'm very intrigued. Oh, I feel like everyone's going to probably has read this except for me. But I keep seeing it come up and it reminds me of Brian Weiss a little bit. It's by Michael Newton, who's a PhD, and it's called Journey of Souls, Case Studies of Life Between Lives. And I really want to read that one. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I haven't read that. We should read it together. Okay, great. Why don't I start reading these ones out loud to you on the road? Okay. Oh, I was thinking you're going to call me at bedtime and I'm just going to fall asleep to it. I can do that too. (laughs) I can record myself reading them and you can play them back. I love that. Great plan. Great. Love it. Okay. Well, with these, and this is actually a great segue into today's episode. So the first book that I talked about that I'm reading is Elements of Magic, Reclaiming Earth, Air, Fire, Water, Spirit. And I very much feel connected to water. I will walk down to the beach and I put my feet in the water to ask it to take away any negative emotions and feelings similar to showers. I think a lot of people like to cry in the shower because it's very cleansing and you feel like you're just like washing away all of that feeling. So this episode is all about water and the healing powers of water. It has a lot of religious connotations to this episode, but it's also about a curse. Dun, dun, dun. And this is The Curse of St. Anne's Well. So if you came to our shows, our live shows in April, Portland, Maine, and the New Brunswick, New Jersey show, you'll remember this. We covered The Curse of St. Anne's Well. So water has power. I think it's very Mm -hmm. healing. It's full of magic. And according to the Bible, It has the ability to purify and provide deliverance. It can destroy evil and enemies. So we must believe then that water is healing and good, right? Right, of course. But then how, why would this water, this well or multiple wells possibly provide curses to someone or many people? It's so scary too, because I think of a well as like, oh, it's the place to go to get fresh water, to literally live. To feed your body. I think of Samara. Samara. (laughs) Of course. I actually rewatched The Ring on uh, the plane home from Dallas. Oh, did you? I did. I started watching Labyrinth for the first time ever. And my God, I'm going to get through it because I feel like I'm supposed to. But (laughs) that is a weird ass movie. I've never seen it. I wouldn't. I mean, I think it's one of those ones where like, it's a cold classic. You have to watch it at a certain time period of your life and then you get obsessed with it. But yeah. You're not there. It was weird. I didn't like it. Is this your old lady coming out? Yeah. I'm like, the main girl, she's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like her attitude. She's mean to everybody. 
and expected help in return. Does that feel more natural for you? It does. Than jewels on your face? Oh, that girl. (laughs) I'm cranky, you guys. (laughs) That's me. Minus five years for Sabrina, add five years for me. Okay. Cranky Corinne and sassy Sabrina. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What else could I use? I'm trying to think of one. (laughs) Slippery, salacious. I don't know. Spooky Sabrina. Okay, yeah, that works. Spooky. Yeah, apparently I'm creepy. I freak people out. Okay, so just as a disclaimer, this topic is really heavily rooted in Catholicism, but it is more of a historical story. So I hope people do not feel offended by that or one way or the other. It also has a lot to do with the reign of King Henry VIII, which I think is fascinating because I continue to be drawn to stories related to that time period. I know. why. We need to do a past life reading. Yes. Okay. So this is the curse of St. Anne's Well, a well that healed and blessed those who stepped into her waters, a sacred pool with magical abilities, but a well that suddenly turned from healing to cursing. I'm going to begin with the story of St. Anne. Anne and her husband, Joachim, lived in Israel back in the first century BCE. They go way back, like early days before Christ. They were well off and had many joys in life well worth celebrating, but unfortunately they were unable to conceive. They were barren and unfortunately during this time where religion was reigned superior and the most important part of life, being unable to conceive and have a child was considered a sin. And Joachim and Anne had been married for 20 years and still had not conceived a child. And they had been trying for a very long time. So yeah, that's what's hard. The two of them went on a pilgrimage to a temple in Jerusalem and they approached the temple and there Joachim makes an offering and communicates with the priest. But the priest turns him away, telling him that he would never have or see redemption or salvation because he and his wife were unable and still had not had a child. So that obviously destroyed this couple. It was so Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Not only are they already feeling inferior, now they're being told by people who are, who basically rule their world and say that they are not going to heaven, that they are going to die sinfully because of this. Like that's heartbreaking. Yeah, that's horrible. I can't imagine. Earth shattering. Yeah. The pain you would feel. And as a couple too, that puts such a strain because some people that, makes them even closer because they're each other's safe space. But then other people, you know, it's it's a hard thing to look at yourself and feel almost like a hatred towards yourself. And then maybe that permeates over to your your spouse exactly. too, where you're like, well, maybe I wouldn't have this problem if you if it wasn't with you. You right. know? That's really tough. It is. And so that night, Joachim tore through the Bible, basically looking for proof that their inability to produce he wanted it to be false. He wanted what the priest said to be false, but he found in the Bible, it said all righteous people in Israel had children to raise, which basically he interpreted if he did not have children, he was not righteous. So that next morning when Anne wakes up, she finds she is alone. Joachim is gone. She panics and she's like, where could he have gone? The last 24 hours had obviously been very hard for both of them, but 
Joachim doesn't just disappear. Like that's so unusual for him. Right. She searches for him for days. Days. She asks for help. Nothing. She's told and she has to believe that Joachim is dead. And so now she's a childless widow. Heartbroken, mourning the loss of the only person she's ever loved, Joachim, her best friend, her husband, Anne put her wedding gown on and took to the top of a hill. She sat beneath a willow tree and wept for the loss of the love of her life. Her tears flooded her face, cascading down her cheeks. She prayed and prayed and prayed. She asked for guidance, asked for understanding. Poor girl. And as she was sobbing into her hands, she suddenly became aware that she was not alone. Mm, Something's watching her. Someone or something was there with her. She didn't feel frightened. She felt like this presence was calming and very strong. So she looks up and she sees an angel, which I'm not sure because you and I have talked about this a lot. A lot of times angels appeared in a very terrifying manner. Right. They don't look white and glowy. They look almost like scary and terrifying. So they're not like the elves from Lord of the Rings. They're like Pan's Labyrinth creatures. (laughs) Yeah. Creature. Yeah. So she sees this angel and this angel tells her, you will give birth to a child, a child who will be a servant to God. And then Anne obviously like, wait, what? Hello? And all of a sudden, this angel disappears. So she can't ask any questions, and she's in shock. And before she can fully process what she had experienced, she sees two more angels appear. These two angels have different news. They tell her, Joachim is not dead. Because as it turns out, that evening when Joachim had been turned away and read the Bible and believed that he was going to die sinfully, he chose to run away and go into the desert alone where he planned to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, prayer being his only sustenance, prayer being his food and water. I know that this is totally unrelated and doesn't, well, it's not unrelated, but it doesn't really matter. But I do wonder maybe if there's anyone who studied the Bible out there or is a theologist, is there a word for like a group of angels? Because group kind of seems like You know, we're thinking of angels as being human, but are they human? I don't think they are. So what do we call them? Yeah. A gaggle gaggle of angels. angels? (laughs) Clearly it is a gaggle. The word just came to both of us. It must be. It must be. Gaggle of angels. (laughs) Not a group, not a flock, but a gaggle of angels descended from the heavens. A gaggle of angels. Wait, did I tell you? So I had a bunch of our girlfriends over here a couple weeks ago and my neighbor left me a voicemail the next day and it was like i saw the gaggle of girls coming over last night all blondes <laughs> and i was like they weren't all blonde but it was oh, very funny blonde. there's one brunette there were two there's two there were two there's two so basically yes Joachim goes off into the desert to survive off of prayer but he didn't tell Anne that he was just like Anne fell asleep i'm gonna get up and disappear And while he was praying in the desert, while his poor wife thought he was dead and Anne was praying underneath this willow tree, separate angels visited both of them. So that one told Anne that she was pregnant and another went to Joachim and told him the same news and told him, Anne is pregnant with your child. 
obviously, Joachim was like, what? <laughs> Say what? Say what? <laughs> you got to be shitting my dick right now. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> this is the modern day interpretation of St. Anne and Joachim. If people learned this way, they would remember things better. Oh my gosh, we're being so sacrilegious right now. (laughs) People who have listened to our podcast know that Corinne and I both grew up in the Catholic Church. So there is a lot of Catholic guilt deep down inside of me somewhere. I think she is with that little child of me and I'm trying to separate the two of them. I'm feeding my inner child and not the the Catholic guilt. Yeah, I don't have the guilt. I have Catholic anger. I got that part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Joachim and Anne reunite and... They find out, sure enough, Anne is pregnant. Hooray! Hooray. Oh my gosh. Go, Joachim and Anne. This is awesome. Yeah. I am kind of like, did they ever discuss the like, you know, Joachim just disappearing in the middle of the night and having to make poor Anne feel like he was dead for so long? I want the drama. I want I want to know what the yeah. arguments were. I want the tea. Although I feel like it's kind of hard to even focus on that part when you've literally had angels descend and speak to you. You're like, okay, I understand there's some weird things going on. So maybe let's just focus on what's right in front of us. And that's us having a baby. Yeah. Let's all put the difficult conversations aside for the baby, I guess. Sure. You know what? Maybe that was not the most important part of the story, but my psychological interest self is like, yeah. Maybe they did have the conversation. It just didn't make it in the final editing because they were like, this isn't about them. This is about. Right. You're right. A higher power. And this is about their child. So Joachim and Anne give birth to a beautiful young girl. This baby girl, they named Mary. And Mary, she went on to really make a name for herself. So much so that we still talk about her to this day. And no, I know you're thinking Mary J. Blige. It is not Mary J. Blige. <laughs> oh my God. My mom is going to cackle at that joke. She loves Mary J. Blige. <laughs> oh, that was good, Sabrina. Thank you. I'm so, I love when you laugh at my jokes. <laughs> There's no better feeling. We've been on tour, so you're getting the quickness is coming into our podcast. <laughs> you're like, where can I insert a joke? <laughs> How can I make Grin laugh? <laughs> Mary J. Blige. <laughs> no, this is Mary, Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary. So this is the same Mary who went on to have the immaculate birth of Jesus Christ. Cue, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God bless you. Save my soul. Save my soul. The timing of that was spooky. I know. My soul was just coming out of me. It is interesting that I feel like I was missing that part going through CCD that Mary's own parents also experienced angels and kind of like immaculate conception. Yeah. To a point. But it seems like it was just like the first time ever and Mary's this special chosen one. But it kind of seems like it's a it's a familial thing. It's the lineage. It is the lineage. And clearly the spirits, the angels, God needed Mary in order to continue this Mm -hmm. immaculate birth and all of that. 
which then makes me wonder like how predetermined everything is, you know? Yeah. Do we have any free will? What is choice? And then it's like Mary's child also saw and communicated with angels. Like where did it, if Jesus had procreated and maybe he did and we don't know, does that person see angels? You either get the hat man or you get angels. Right. But then also a lot of people who claim to see angels are like told that they're mentally ill or back in the day were accused of being witches. So it's interesting the choices and the selective opinions of many of these people. Mm -hmm. Okay. But so Mary, she gives birth to Jesus and becomes a very prominent figure in Catholicism. And Anne actually becomes very prominent as well because she becomes a saint. And by 15 CE, the story of Anne is very in the zeitgeist. Her story of conception is very well known. Her kindness, her grace, her serenity. There's a lot of debate about Anne. There are some texts about her that were banned because there was no way to prove the parentage of Mother Mary. But either way, like a lot of people really loved Anne and like what she stood for in this like motherly and calm, serene presence. So there's this sect of or faction of Catholicism that kind of took to Anne and Mm. really became enthralled with her, which then earned her her sainthood. And at the rise of St. Anne's notoriety, there was also political frictions that began. So a lot of people fled Israel for the European countries to seek haven, and with them, they brought their love of St. Anne. She became one of the most adored symbols of Catholicism. Relics that people were claiming belonged to Anne were popping up all over Europe. Parts of her body and bones were showing up too, which I have a lot of questions okay. about because, yeah. Shouldn't that be a sin? No desecrating the bodies of anyone, especially someone who you consider a saint. Unless it's Sven to make room for a Rainforest Cafe cup. He desecrated his own body. He lost That's a limb true. along the way. That was his That's choice. True. Well, the thing about her parts of her bones showing up is like, one, how could you verify it? This is so far back in the day. Yeah. They can't like DNA test the bones. And then also this cathedral, St. Francis Shard Cathedral, claims to have had Anne's severed head on display. And I'm like, well, why was her head severed? Also... Why do we keep doing this? I feel like when I go into churches in other countries, there's oftentimes some sort of body that's preserved and on display. And do we need to do that? Do we? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) So I'd like to skip that part and leave people wherever they want. Corinne, we have to talk about, we had listeners at, was it the Charleston show? Who we met that they were like, yeah, we keep finding bones in our backyard. Oh, my gosh. Yes, wait. But there was something else that happened, too. Was it just that their house was super haunted? Oh, the person who sold them the land was also really sketchy, right? Yes. There was a bunch of weird stuff. So we're like, is this a haunting or are you about to solve like a cold case? So it was a mom and a daughter. They found in the daughter's bedroom when they moved in, in the closet, was like weird like bondage things and a dead chicken. Yes. Yes. Like the corpse of a chicken. Like a rotisserie chicken bones left over. Yeah. If you're listening, can you let us know if anything's happened? Yeah. We need updates. Weren't they in contact with the... Oh, no, it wasn't the police. They were working with like a local... They were working with someone who was going to identify the bones. Like it was 
someone in the medical field. Yeah. If they were human. Yes. Yeah. They looked human. I mean, what do I know? But they were like. They were big. It looked like the tibia. And then they were like almost like um spinal bones. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there's like horses in the area just dying in the backyard. I don't know. But it was big. That would have had to be a big ass dog if it was a dog. Yeah. Anyway, so similar to our listeners finding bones, apparently people are finding Anne's bones all over Europe, which is weird because at least to my understanding and in researching this, Anne was never in Europe. So I don't know. All of this is to say is that Anne was a very big deal. And by the 14th century, she was everywhere. Anne is and was a saint that represented love, mercy, and healing, which is where the well comes in. The well and many other bodies of water. Because like I said in the beginning, water has magical powers and the belief in healing springs, pools, etc. has existed in many different religions far beyond just Christianity. So all over the world, there were bodies of water, pools, oceans, rivers, lakes, wells, etc., that were said to have the ability to heal. But with those potential blessings also came a fear. So there's one story about Anne's helpful aid amongst the rain. This comes from the infamous Martin Luther, who, when he was 22 years old in 1505, he found himself caught in a truly terrible thunderstorm. He couldn't see. He was out alone by himself. He was terrified that he was going to die. So he is walking through this thunderstorm trying to find safety and decides to pray to St. Anne. And he's begging her to keep him safe. And he promises that if she saves him, he would join the monastic life. Wow. He made it out alive. Within the next few months, he kept his promise. He kept his word and became a monk. There are some other stories related to different bodies of water. There was a pool in Villefranche-Moi that was dedicated to Anne and believed to heal infertility. Another body of water in the French city of Brie was dedicated to Anne and said to heal ailments related to eyes and throats. And mm-hmm. they had erected this statue of St. Anne up on a hill overlooking the body of water. I'm just curious about what the like eye and throat thing has to do with Anne because the infertility, curing infertility makes sense for her and her story. But the other one seems kind of random. I think she just had healing, like she was a very healing soul. Okay. I don't know necessarily, but here's a statue of St. Anne up on a hill overlooking the body of water. So when people go into this water and they ask for healing powers from St. Anne, they look up at her kind of like praying to her. One man decided he did not believe in this power and he decided to mock Anne. Uh So he goes up to the statue and turns it so that instead of it facing the water and looking over the water, it is turned away from the water. Instantly, he is struck blind. And simultaneously, the waters turn to blood. What? So she cures eyes, but she also takes them too. Yeah. This is very Brothers Grimm, right? Like this is the original Cilarenda, C- C- Cilarenda, Cinderella story. <laughs> I kind of like Cilarenda though. Cilarenda. It'll be our, our off-Broadway version. <laughs> okay. Everything turns into a musical over here. Yeah, we have theater in our hearts. So stories like this are becoming more and more common. 
not only here, but any body of water that is said to be blessed by St. Anne, many people who are mocking or coming with ill intent are not being blessed, but are ending up cursed instead. Interesting. So you get out what you give. Correct. Basically. It amplifies whatever's within you. Yeah, definitely. It's just interesting to me to think that it's St. Anne herself actually choosing to curse someone. When you hear her story and how much pain she went through and all the good that she did with her life, it is interesting that she would instill any harm upon people. Right. But who knows? Because it's, I'm almost thinking, I always go back to this as an example because it's the first time I'd ever heard of it. The Bell Witch Cave and how a woman died, the neighbor, and all of the angry and spiteful pieces of this woman chipped off and festered and created what is the Bell Witch. So it's a representation of this woman and like a version of her, but it's definitely not her. And it's a, such a small fragment yeah. of who she was. So I also wonder if like there's something in the sainthood of Anne where like her body split and separated, like her soul and all of the good and amazing stayed there and it was healing and it was cured. But then all of the anger that she had and resentment and fear through all of the hardships of her life also stayed separate. Yeah. And that is what feeds on the people who come with ill intent. It's very possible. It also is very possible that there are just some evil people out there. Mm-hmm. because there's also this well that was dedicated to St. Anne in a town in Wales, and they decided to harness the curse rather than the healing properties of this well. That's bad. <laughs> it is. They invited people to come to the well, and for a very small fee, just three toes and all of your life savings, that's not actually what they asked for, but that's what I'm <laughs> imagining, They would able you to write the name of your enemy on a stone and lower it into the well while uttering a curse that you wish upon your enemy. The people who you are cursing would befall those horrible curses that were wished upon them and never know why. In some more fortunate cases, if you learned that your enemy had cursed you at the well, you could could undo the curse if you pay a small fee. I feel like this became just like a money, like someone figured out how to make a lot of money off of this. I know. I'm also hoping there was an age restriction on this too, because I'm just like picturing everyone in middle school and high school who gets in a fight with like their best friend and they're like, fuck you, I'm going to the well. Yeah. Yeah. It's an emotional time. I think beyond middle school and high school, like people were just cursing each other back and forth at this well. Like truly, yeah. it was almost like, okay, let's just say, picture this. Corinne and I are in a battle. <laughs> I don't know why. And you decide to curse me, Corinne. So you go to the well and you put my name on a brick and you lower it into the well and you mutter a curse. Well, then I hear you did that. So I'm going to go and I actually am going to combat that curse. I'm going to pay my small fee and actually put a curse on you. And then you hear that and then you go, and put a curse back on me. And we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is what people were doing. And that person is like, I am rich. Exactly. Chilling at the well, making money. So this was happening over and over. And the well was so filled with curses and people would continue to curse one another that it became so evil and so malicious that finally, I don't know who, but someone took matters into their own hands 
and decided to cover the well and planted potatoes, covering it in soil to prevent any other cursing. Oh, that's nice. But do the potatoes then contain the curse? Like, is that food if you consume it? Does it have the curse within it? I don't know. Maybe it was more taking that power, the like intense energy in there and putting it into something good, which is yeah, feeding, feeding people. people. Yeah. So it's interesting because aside from that one well where people were like cursing each other back and forth, every other story I read and or like bodies of water where like people did get cursed. It was only those who were wronging her. So people who wronged her, it was like a defensive thing. Like don't mm. mock me. Don't belittle me kind of thing. Right. Well, and also not to get too like biblical here, but like we question why Anne would do something bad. But there's so many examples of it throughout the Bible and that we learn in Catholicism where it's like, Someone's eyes get plucked out. Someone's child is killed because their dad yeah. didn't do something. You know, like there is still fear and like you have to follow up my orders as I lay them out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Well, there's one last well that was dedicated to St. Anne that I would like to talk about. This is the curse of St. Anne's well in Liverpool, England. And this is where King Henry VIII comes in. So as the story goes during the reign of King Henry VIII, there was a small priory on Elton Head Farm in Liverpool. It was a very large plot of land, but the monks had built a small monastery where just 12 monks lived. So basically, they weren't using a ton of this land. But at the edge of the property was this well or pool belonging to St. Anne, and it was said to have healing properties. And then just beyond that border of this land lived a wealthy man named Sir Thomas Bold. Sir Thomas Bold had a house manager named Hugh Darcy, and Bold was never really on his land that often, so Hugh Darcy very much took it upon himself to manage this property and almost felt like it was his own. Darcy, for some reason, had some grudge against the religious men and began arguing over the property lines, claiming that Bold's estate actually went into that of the monks. And so this guy, Hugh Darcy, is like blaming the monks for stealing his boss's land. And then it became this feud. The monks were like, let's just not let it get to us. They kept their heads down and they continued to work. They invited people, anyone who needed help or shelter or food or any kind of healing into their walls and they took care of them. That's lovely. They would show these people down to the well and allow them to step inside of it for the healing properties. This well was a sandstone pool, four feet deep and five and a half feet wide. So like a hot tub size. Okay. It was said that St. Anne herself had visited this well in her life, even though she never left Jerusalem. So I don't really know. But visitors were suggested to make a donation to St. Anne and toss one coin into the water before slowly stepping into it and receiving St. Anne's blessings. It was known to be a very powerful site. But unfortunately, Hugh Darcy would not let this dispute over land go. And finally, he got what he wanted because one day there was a knock on the monastery door. Two men stood outside holding a decree that stated that these two men were to seize the entire property on the king's orders. 
And then this is also, if you remember the Tower of London or the Anne Boleyn episode, King Henry VIII, when he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, he ended up severing the ties with the Catholic Church and basically wiped out monasteries throughout the realm. So like it became a very, very terse time Mm. with the crown versus religion. Right. Because he was writing whatever rules served him. He wanted, right? With like, yeah, "Yeah, I want to get married. Now I don't want to be married. Now I need this and now I need another wife. And now I need to kill my wives. Yeah. Yes. So these monks are devastated because that means they're going to lose St. Anne's well. And the head monk, Father Delane, he just knows. He knows Darcy is behind this. And he goes to the well and he is basically, you know, mourning and he's there and he sees Hugh Darcy standing there smug. And Father Delane is like, I know it was you. And he curses Darcy. He calls upon St. Anne and the power of her well. Father Delane asks that his greedy rival would never be able to enjoy the profits of his sinful actions. Darcy laughs and turns to walk away and is like, ha ha. Father Delane utters his final words and immediately lets out a gasp and drops to the ground and dies. (laughs) So his final actions were to curse this man. And he invoked all the power within himself and within St. Anne and basically gave up his life to make sure that this other man, Hugh Darcy, would never enjoy the land that he stole. That is, that's petty, but that's also kind of awesome at the same time. (laughs) I don't wish that to happen on anyone else, but I do understand the pure anger of like your whole life, all of your land, which was like everything back then. Yeah. Being ripped away from you. Hell yeah. I'm sure he also didn't know he was about to die doing this too. No. I don't think so either. And also like he's devastated his entire life. Like this place that he lived is now gone. Mm -hmm. I imagine it was a very emotional moment for him as well. Right. So Father Delane dies and shortly afterwards, Sir Thomas Bold does take over the land, including St. Anne's Well. And Hugh Darcy watches on greedily. But Hugh Darcy is never able to enjoy his sinful profits because months later, Darcy's son fell ill and died, which is really sad that it went on to other people. Yeah. His son's cause of death was unknown. Darcy's finances plummeted. And then that boss that he acquired all this land for fires him. And Darcy's at a bar one night drinking his sorrows and never makes it home. The next morning, Guess where he is found? In the well. His wife found him lying dead at St. Anne's well, his head crushed. (gasps) Oh my God. Ew. Do we know what it looked crushed by? (laughs) I don't know. I was just thinking like, was this supernatural where like his head imploded or did someone like take a shovel to his head? You know, that was kind of my question. Human or spirit? Just picture like a Dear David Benton head. Uh, Yikes. It is believed the curse of St. Anne's well got him after all. And I mean, a lot of these stories, especially this well, was believed to be a myth because records of this story didn't appear until nearly 300 years after the supposed curse of Darcy. Mm. 
But then recently, this narrative shifted a little bit because in 1976, an archaeological society studied this site and discovered, what did they discover? A four foot deep, about six foot wide pool. (gasps) No, it's real. There it is. I know I can see the bottom of it, but the way that the steps lead down and the angle of that photo, it almost looks like it would just keep going and you like walk down into the underworld. Yeah. Well, dang. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. That is the story of the curse slash also the like blessings of St. Anne and St. Anne's well. Dang. Dang. Not a place that's on my bucket list to visit. Let's just say that. No. There's a lot of other holy places. People can go to Fatima, Portugal, if you're looking for some good vibes and water. Or, I don't know, basically anywhere except for there, right? Yeah. It is interesting, like, anytime we talk about the paranormal or, like, magic and powers, there is good and bad. And everything can be used in one way or the other. You and I, Corinne, very much believe in the use of things in a positive and good way and not to manipulate Mm -hmm. them or use them for your own like sick perverse benefit but there are a lot of people who would prefer to do things in a quick fix situation which might mean cursing someone don't curse people please yeah just don't it's so awful please everybody You never know what's going to happen. And also, I don't know if this, you know, I think the people that are in a place where they do want to curse someone, just saying don't curse someone is not the best deterrent. It's not accurately going to work. So maybe maybe this will scare you enough. You don't know what's going to come back for you. You might curse someone and drop dead, just like that guy did when he cursed the person who took his land and his well. I always think back to that one listener story we read where, oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like, her uncle's wife, like or ex-wife or something like that, cursed him and she like started losing her hair. And like all these terrible things happened to her uncle. Yeah. But the woman who had supposedly cursed him also had some terrible, like really, really gross, like unfortunate things happen. Right. <sighs> There's power to your words. There's power to the energy that you put out there. Seriously. Just try to have good vibes. Fake it till you make it. And then you might be better off on the other end. Just mind your own business, you know, like MYOB. And also, if someone pisses you off, have a conversation. Communication's great. Yeah. Or just like take three days. Yeah. Even two days. I feel like almost every time I get pissed about something, if I wait two days, it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. And also, if someone like doesn't treat you well, then like be like, hey, I don't want you in my life. Good riddance. Goodbye. No, protect your peace. Distance yourself from that person. Yeah. And don't curse them. (laughs) No. Okay. I have a listener story that's not exactly about cursing, but I felt like it was adjacent enough that I'm going to read it. Okay. For this episode. Hi, Corinne and Sabrina. I just started listening to your podcast on Spotify. I really enjoy that you stress the fact that you're not experts. <laughs> we still do. Yeah, It's refreshing to be listening to these stories from fellow sensitive individuals that don't lord their superior knowledge over others. So thank you very much for that. 
but that's not what this email is about. You want stories. Background. I'm a 31-year-old medium and hedge witch who has been practicing the latter for over 22 years now and still learning something new each day. The mediumship part I figured out in high school, but had been having experiences since early childhood. I lived in San Bernardino County in California, and I grew up in Santa Monica, California. I lived in Georgia. I moved back to Santa Monica, and then finally I moved to Maplewood, New Jersey in September of 2021 for work. Do you know where that is? No, but I love that it was Santa Monica in New Jersey where... Uh, yeah, you did the opposite. Bloop. Yeah, interesting. They write, I love it here. Lots of good <laughs> vibes from the spirits that I do interact with. Oh. I must have been about two or three for my first communication experience. My mom was asleep. My dad was at work. My sister was at school. I sat in the living room of our first home in the early 90s, a little yellow house in San Bernardino, and I heard my name being called in a deep, guttural whisper on the wind. Oh. My name was called three times, and I got a chill up my spine. Flash forward, I'm about five years old. My grandpa is having a routine checkup at the VA. He was a CMS in the Air Force. We are at a wishing well, and there I made my very first prediction, which in five-year-old logic, made sense the way I was putting it. I wished that he could live, but that he didn't have his head. My reasoning when my grandpa what? chastised me for my wish was that this would be safer for him. In early 2001, he had a stroke and then found out he had a few brain tumors. He oh. died of a heart attack later that summer after a second stroke and the cancer spreading to his spine and lungs. But even though he couldn't really walk or remember who we all were, walked to the couch in the family room, and watched his last sunrise. At the same time, my birth parents still had custody of my sister and I. We lived in the home filled with negative energy. A small motel room and all of the worst spirits seemed to be attracted to us. Later on in the years, it would appear that both my sister and I created PK manifestation slash poltergeist. My father seemed to attract the most of it, though, as an abhorrent individual. We dealt with scratches, sleep paralysis, being pushed when we were alone, and the constant sensation of being watched. Jeez. My time there was a blur until when I was about 14 years old. I moved from San Bernardino to Santa Monica. My oldest brother adopted me. I call him dad. Mm. And we lived a wonderful life across the street from a six-foot underline of Freemason section of Woodlawn Cemetery. Do you know where this is? Yeah. Nice. Okay. I walked past the cemetery all the time. Over time, I started to enjoy it there and would walk through it to get home. Sometimes I would stop and I would have some tea. I would read. I would write a poem. It was peaceful during the day. During the day, there wasn't a lot of activity, but it still had a stillness to it. Even when the police canines were playing fetch in there. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. I know. It's so cute. There was still a silence that fell over the place. Funny enough, it was also always the first part of town to get foggy at night, despite us being a mile from the coast. For a long time, that part of Santa Monica was mostly rival gangs, and they'd use the cemetery to assassinate members of other gangs. What? Oh, God. There was a lot of violence, especially in the corner closest to the college. That wasn't the only weird thing happening in the cemetery, though. Occasionally, you'd see or hear women weeping over graves under a tree in the south side of the cemetery, where the ivy didn't grow as thick over the fences. The cops that were stationed inside the cemetery would leave before 3 a.m. and not return until sunrise. Though, they still wouldn't lock the gate either. 
Sometimes you'd get followed slash a temporary attachment. I was lucky enough to have one of these. Some tall guy who just wanted to watch me sleep for a few days before he went back to the cemetery. Interesting. I know. Casual. Maybe they were like, this person seems less chaotic than what I see in the cemetery. Let me just go home with them for a little. Watch them sleep. Yeah, just something nice and peaceful and predictable. (laughs) Someone sleeping. But personal experiences in Santa Monica? I have a few. I had a friend, a fellow witch and goth, who I used to hang out with in the cemetery and talk with and drink tea with. She was less cautious than I was. She had this great idea to go into the cemetery at night and have a seance and try to record an EVP. Sabrina, this sounds like something you would make me do. (laughs) You know, I would not do it alone. Like, I would make sure people were with us who knew what they were doing. Yes. Yeah. But these people do know what they're doing. They're both witches. That's true. Four of us went in through the South Gate on 14th Street, three blocks from home. We walked past the mausoleum, really more of a gate that went to a staircase leading into the pitch dark even in the day. And that gate always gave me the chills. Even in the daytime, I would avoid it. We walked further in and we started hearing the tinkling of bells, which had long since not been used on graves, and the laughter from what sounded like a little girl. Is the bell like the ringer, I wonder? Like, do people decorate the gravestones with the bells or is this like the dead ringer thing where like they would attach the bell to a string that was attached to someone's finger. So if they woke up and were accidentally buried yeah. alive, it would ring. I wonder if it's evolved into like a decor thing now. Yeah. Or like symbolic. I don't know. Because I, I don't think they still do the dead finger ringer. I know. Creepy. Okay. And the laughter from what sounded like a little girl. It was very, very rarely ever actually a child if there's a haunting involving one. See? Demon. <laughs> We walked past the Freemason section of the cemetery and we touched the plaques. I remember feeling the way that people felt in life. It was highly unpleasant. We wrap all the way around to the frontmost side of the main building and go towards the corner where supposedly a girl jumped the fence and got hit by a bus that she was trying to catch. This is wild that this is all right down the street from me. I know, right? We started the seance and my eyes grew heavy. Next thing I know, I'm waking up in the cemetery alone at just after 3 a.m. I fumble around and I find my glasses and I look at this big marble wall of plaques for all the interred there. And as I'm looking up at it, it pulses like a heartbeat. The entire wall is beating like a heart. I hear a whisper that just says, run. As I'm getting up, the giggles come back. I'm dashing past the Elk Lodge mausoleum where the white roses look like they're rotting and turning brown, and my heart is racing as I'm trying not to step on the stones. The woman is just behind the main building. The cops are gone, and I'm dashing for the gate that we came in, the only one open at night. I hear the screeching of tires and the thunk as I get to the sidewalk. I spent the rest of the night in a cafe with another friend, freaked out, and I started learning how to protect myself after that. One of the next things that happened to me that was significant was I was at my friend's house over by the high school, and she and I were talking all night on top of her garage. She was talking about how her house needed to be blessed a few times a year, and none of us would ever go into her house. I went inside once, and the atmosphere was just heavy, like it dragged the air out of your lungs. Jeez. But we were talking about our experiences, and three deep cuts opened up on my right arm. I was startled, but luckily... It was easy to stop the bleeding. The cuts healed a couple days later, but I made sure not to go back to her house past midnight ever again. 
But back to that old friend from the cemetery. She started getting into some weird shit after we graduated high school. Her boyfriend became agitated more easily around this time. Oh, geez. I was her research assistant for her witchcraft supply shop. Whoa, that sounds cool. Wow. I would look up spells and craft the supply kits necessary for her clients. And I got some great spell resources at this time for more peaceful magic and even some herbalism. Please share. I want to know everything. Me too. But each and every time I visited them, her boyfriend would become more and more agitated and they both became more and more ill. They got swine flu and I brought them some tea that I'd made for them using some holy water and she started to feel better. But her boyfriend got sicker and he would complain about how the tea burned. We stopped talking eventually after that and he did get better and he was grateful some years later when our paths crossed again at a local park which also had a dark history to it. But those ghosts I see whenever I visit are from witnessing a murder of a friend there. So any readings by me for that park would be unreliable. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Around 2010, my friends and I got high in our friend's garage and we decided, hey, you know what's a great idea? Let's have a seance. We used candles, a mirror, and a piece of concrete from a demolished building nearby called The Haunt. This was, naturally, a bad idea since my friend's garage was also filled with various occult symbols. He was heavily researching the history of alchemy and found it fascinating. So, middle of the night, a bunch of idiots who had less ability to keep walls up slash protected and a seance. What could go wrong? Oh my gosh. Well, our buddy CJ passed out and something took the form of a little girl and was just hovering over his passed out body, giggling. What? The giggle was very familiar. It was from a previous night. He was knocked out and this thing was rather intent on getting him. I stayed up all night watching to make sure that he was okay. And the next day he felt a little sick, but he was all right. And I would see that girl in my nightmares for weeks until I went back there and cleansed the space. And then I destroyed as many sigil as I could find. I moved to Georgia in 2012 and left two years later. The house I lived in was also my ex's, whose entire family was gifted. So this is a whole other chapter of stories, basically. When you have one sensitive, they can act as a beacon. When you have one beacon in a place that's easier to handle. However, if you put seven sensitive psychic mediums in a house, in the woods, in the South, yeah, things get a little hectic. Yeah. Things started off pretty easy there. Nothing crazy, crazy. We would just see this little girl with blue lips on the roof of the patio and there would always be this light in the woods behind the house. Oh, this poor girl. Then when we went into the house to explore in the daytime, there would be no house, no cabin, no anything there. What? (laughs) I'm like, my heart is pounding. The headstones at the local cemeteries were old and made of slate, abundant in that area. I would walk daily unless there was a storm and would occasionally just pass through the woods. Tall pine trees coated in vines. One day, I walked into a little clearing of overgrowth with slate headstones, unknown, unmarked besides the stones, and just near the corner of someone's property in an area that used to be a plantation. Not hard to imagine what these graves were there for. Mm. That location came up with a very peaceful vibe. No spirits at unrest, luckily. The driveway we had at the house was long and passed through the woods. One night at around 3 a.m., because we were smart, we took the trash down. There were eyes peering at us from the woods. Multiple? And we thought to ourselves, maybe some raccoons? 
but we shined a mag light down there and we saw no animals whatsoever. We turned off the flashlight and the eyes were back. Then we saw one blink. We got that trash can down to the curb and we ran back up the driveway as fast as we could. So yeah, this house had a lot of energy. It was a new construction. That sounds familiar. And this was the first family to live there. So no chances of murders or violent deaths on the property. Just the fact that everyone there was a beacon and most didn't know how to protect themselves. Unfortunately, this means that there were a lot of spirits and I mean a lot. Most of them would show themselves as shadow people and it started to seem like they weren't quite actually shadow people, but like they were being controlled and made to present themselves that way. Not Hmm. uncommon when a place has a lot of spiritual activity and bad energy. The youngest sibling of my ex seemed to be the most affected. Me being the more experienced medium in the house, it came to me to do my walkthrough, which didn't take long, and to talk to her. She had us paint her entire bedroom black because otherwise there was always this feeling on the ceiling of seeing something looking at her. She was waking up with scratches and bruises. She was barely eating or sleeping. And when she did sleep, she would wake up screaming in the middle of the night. How did they keep doing? Like, why would they stay here? Well, because your house poor. You buy a house. You have no money. How do you leave? But no, I know. It's just I feel so sad. I know. It's almost like, I don't know, drive to a friend's house and sleep in a tent outside. (laughs) Or like even just sleep in a tent outside of this house. I guess maybe not. But there's eyes and the looking at them. Other dangers then, I guess. Yeah. I worked my magic. I banished whatever the hell that thing was from the house. But even that didn't stop the issues. I wound up doing a deeper dive and finding a portal. So portals are exactly what they sound like, but they often look a little different depending on the location, the perspective of the individual, and the source of the portal. Whatever the source was, this one felt reflective, which is great because it was on the opposite wall of a mirror. Mm -hmm. During the next cleansing of the house, the activity got bad. Pictures would fall off the walls, the cats were freaking the fuck out, and the faucets would turn on on their own. Jeez. I had to have the younger siblings leave the house for a bit while my ex and I took care of business. What a little witchy power duo. Seriously. A family of witches basically just banishing these spirits. Like everyone who's dating the family, also witches. So cool. Yeah. I made my way through the property, cleansing it, and I sealed the cleansed space with crystals planted in the woods at the edges of the property and one in the center of the property with a seal carved into it. Stage one was done. The bad spirits had been banished. The portal started closing on its own with nothing to feed it and keep it open. Next, we worked on closing that portal completely as to avoid any further issues. That was a relatively easy process. Being medium, you get a sense of the spirits. Some of them will show themselves to you. There was a lovely little cat, which originally was cast in a shadow that started to lighten up more and more until it presented itself and it was an orange tabby. The positive spirits were more than welcome to stay, but most moved on after the activity subsided. The next thing to do was to get those that created poltergeists to therapy so that they could give those less power. When I left Georgia, the house was much more serene and secure. The flowers grew in the garden again, and no shadows were in sight. Wait, I love that. Before I left, however. Oh no. Oh no. Oh gosh. I did a few walkthroughs and cleansed the other properties, and one person's house had an entire hallway and atrium filled with mirrors. Yeah, that's not the best idea. Their kids had played Bloody Mary and thought that they'd invited something in. 
However, it was their mother who was walking in the woods one day and accidentally brought in a haunted object that she found by the river. Note, if you see something by the river, in the woods, where you normally wouldn't see something like this and you feel compelled to bring it home, just don't, okay? I gave the results and suggestions on what could be done and they didn't do any of it. She got sick a few years later. I moved back to Santa Monica after that and being so open, I helped friends deal with their problems that they would have. I'd walk down the streets and I'd always feel like I needed to run home at night. It was just toxic in that neighborhood where I lived, but I managed to be there for a few years. After that, I moved here to New Jersey and I haven't had a lot of experiences and haven't needed to do anything too extreme. I've had a banishing and ceiling in my house at the foundation in the basement due to an inhuman spirit being present. Okay, well, that's something. That's massive. I know. Ever since my housemate and I did that, this was her first lesson. We have been able to go back in the basement at night. Before then, it was terrifying, and I would refuse to go down there after sunset. Hell, I was scared to go down there during the day. I always felt watched and in danger there until one day when whatever the heck that thing was showed itself in its mangled form. After what? that, black salt, sigil, crystals, satchels, and whatever else could be thrown into a spell bag to keep that place safe. I live on the top floor of the house, just under the attic. And after that banishing, there wasn't too much activity, but occasionally I will hear some footsteps above me. My cats will freak out at night, staring and hissing into the darkness. This is all the stories I can remember right now, but if I recall more, I will gladly, gladly send them. Also happy, and I'm going to butcher this, but this will be a learning moment for me. Lugnasad and happy new moon. Today is a great day for cleansing and smudging. Warmest regards, Violetta or Violetta. Violetta, Violetta. What the hecka? What the hecka? This is so wild too, because it's like, it all started almost like when they were five years old and they made a wish. And that wish was basically like a premonition. It was like an intuition. You wish in the well that your grandpa doesn't have a head because something in you knows his head is hurting him and his head is going to be the thing that kills him. And then he has cancer. And then from there, they just encounter like darkness after darkness, troubled souls, Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine having that much just surrounding you constantly. I feel like I'd never leave my house. Well, even in your house, you're not safe. Yeah, that's true. But it's wild how much the cemetery nearby you has too. I know. I I should walk by it and see if I feel anything. But it's also fascinating. I think Violetta, and I'm sorry if I'm saying your name incorrectly, but like we've heard stories from people who have powers like this and it becomes so overwhelming and consuming And it's hard because there are all these dark things that continue to pop up. There are all these people who end up needing your help and there are all these spirits making themselves known to you. But I feel like this was a beautiful version of how you can coexist and how you Mm -hmm. can make sure your space is safe. And yes, they might appear. And yes, they might continue to appear and show up in different ways in new places. And there's always a way to protect yourself. Yes, there is. Also, I am so confused by when they were in that house in Georgia Mm -hmm. and like they would see the eyes in the tree lines and then when they would use a mag light, there was nothing. But the second the flashlight was off, they saw things because usually seeing eyes means they're reflecting off of light. Like when you use a flashlight, usually is when you would see like the reflection of the eyes. So it's so creepy 
It is. It's like whatever that was had the ability to cloak itself or disappear or something only exists in dark. I don't know. This is the thing. It's like we know nothing about anything, right? Yeah, we know nothing. Because there's always going to be a million more examples that go against whatever we think as soon as we're starting to figure it out. Yeah. I would love to have a lesson from Violetta. Violetta. I know. On protecting ourselves from darkness because yeah. you don't need a well to curse you. Sometimes there's just things around you that are bad and you got to keep yourself protected and safe. Yeah. Agreed. Wow. And now I'm going to like walk around Santa Monica with such a different lens. <laughs> How many spirits are walking amongst you that you don't even realize? Well, technically everywhere, no matter where you are, there could be spirits around you all the time. I know. But if you walk through the cemetery, it sounds like there's going to be a, a lot more than normal. Yeah. Well, I'll go check it out. I'll take some pictures. Yeah. Please do. Walk by it. It's like 0.8 miles away. I looked it up. Great. Great. Well, everyone, thank you for coming back again for another episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. We love you. You can show your love in a variety of ways. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can tell friends about it. Word of mouth is so important. You can also visit our website for a variety of other ways. We have links to our Patreon, links to merch. We have one weekend of the live show left? Or are we done? Do we? I don't know. Let me look. Does this come out the day of our last show? Yeah. We're done, you guys. We're done. (gasps) 34 shows. Done. That's so wild. Wild. Well, thanks to everyone who supported and could come or who wished they could come. Yeah. We appreciate you. We love you. We love you. Shout out to Jamie, who is editing our podcast. And to our entire team, Avery and everyone else who helps us. And we love you all. And we will. See you on the other side. Very spooky.